This is Lori Holden, author of The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption and longtime blogger at LavenderLews.com. Welcome to Adoption the Long View, where we bring you views and perspectives you need to know now for your adoptive parenting journey. To get ready for this episode, which turned out to be on emotional intelligence in adoption relationships, imagine that you are 18 years old and parenting a four-month-old boy, a path you don't feel prepared for at all. You have an older half-brother. He and his wife have been struggling to conceive. You end up placing your baby with them in what is agreed to be an open adoption. But in practice, it's not open. Sure, you have contact at family get-togethers. You get to see him, your son. But years later, his parents have declined to tell him that he was adopted and that you are his birth mom. As he grows older, you are pressed to either stay complicit with this lie of omission or spill the beans without their permission. Listen in to this story of a kinship adoption gone wrong and lessons learned. Welcome everyone to this episode of The Long View. This is a podcast brought to you by the people at adopting.com. I'm your host, Lori Holden, author of The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption and longtime blogger at lavenderlose.com. I'm a mom through domestic infant adoption to a daughter and a son now in their late teens. And let me tell you, it's been a ride. Think of any road trip you've taken. There are ups and there are downs, and it's always an adventure. You're always glad for the trip, and afterwards you might on occasion end up thinking, if I knew then what I know now. Regarding your adoptive parenting journey, we aim to help you know now. With me today is Clemencia de Leon, who became a birth mom more than a decade ago in a kinship adoption. She has quite the story to tell and continues to walk a road of healing. Clemencia is passionate about child and brain development, emotional intelligence, and treatment of traumatic life experiences. Her experience as a birth mother involved in a kinship adoption has given her a beautiful perspective on the importance of self-worth and the value of clarity in communication. She is dedicated to helping others know their value and the importance of having a clear understanding of their emotions. Welcome, Clemencia. Hello. So great to talk with you this morning. <laughs> yes, yes. It's good to talk with you again this morning. Tell us briefly how you came to place your four-month-old son with a family member. Oh, briefly. Um, well, I, I just came to, a, there was a lot of things that led up to the decision. Um, I didn't play, obviously I didn't place him out of the hospital. I attempted to raise him for four months. And in those four months, I realized that my, my emotional space and my mental space were not in a stable, I wasn't in a stable mindset. I wasn't in a stable emotional space to care for a child. And that's eventually what led me to the decision to place. I knew that there were things that I was going through. There were situations that kept occurring that weren't safe, that weren't safe for me, that weren't safe for him. And I knew that he had to be somewhere that was safe, that was consistent and safe. And that was something I could not provide for him at the time. Um, I was 18. Uh, a lot of there was a lot of emotions that I was unaware of. I was sad. I was 
feeling shame and guilt, and all of those led to very self-destructive behaviors. And I knew that if I continued down this path, I would drag him with me and he deserved better. So my brother and my sister-in-law were in a position to, to take him in. I didn't want anybody else. Like I knew I didn't want him going to a family outside of my family because I still wanted to be a part of his life. I still wanted to see him grow up. I still wanted to have contact with him and I knew it would be, I don't, I I say I knew, I just, I kind of instinctually knew that it would be more difficult to have that contact with him if it was with a family outside of my own. And so I decided to place him with my brother and my sister-in-law. And from there, you know, it was, it was supposed to be an open adoption when we discussed it. Um, so that's how I came to the decision. I, I knew that I was not right emotionally or mentally to care for him. And, and you, had, you talk about traumatic life experiences and you were experiencing some of those during the pregnancy. Yeah. Are you able to talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So in high school, so, okay. So prior to high school in my childhood, there was a lot of my mom, you know, she was going through her own stuff as an infant. I'm the youngest of, of five kids. Um, so all of my siblings are 12, 18, 20 years older than me. So when my mom got pregnant with me in her late thirties, she was done raising kids. She was done having kids. And then she gets pregnant with me while in a not so healthy relationship with my father. And so she, you know, she's going through everything with my older brother, his trial. And then, you know, here I come and it's like, you know, there's, she disconnects. So the disconnection from my mom, my sister ends up raising me pretty much. Um, Things happen between um, my father and I, which causes more harm. And then, you know, so now I'm at the point of adolescence where I'm trying to identify who I am. I don't know who I am. I can't even, I'm not aware of my emotions. I'm not aware of who I am. I don't know how to say I'm feeling angry or I'm sad or I'm scared or I'm hurt. And so it just stays inside. And so come high school, it's typical. I had daddy issues. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. And I had a boyfriend who had cancer and I end up sleeping with somebody else and getting pregnant while he's essentially dying from cancer. And so all of the shame and guilt that comes with that, I'm in high school, I'm in a small town, everybody knows what's going on, you know, and I'm like, embarrassed, I'm sad, Uh, you know, he dies, I'm six months pregnant when he dies. And because I don't communicate, because I don't tell anybody what I'm feeling, I take on like, oh, he died of a broken heart. Oh, he died because I told him that this baby isn't his, you know, but no, he died from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. That's what took his life. Not the fact that I was pregnant with somebody else's baby. And I didn't know that I carried that for many years. And so, um, I was, again, I was six months pregnant when this happened. So six, seven, eight, three months later, when I give birth, I'm still in like, I don't feel like I deserve to be a mom. I feel like I don't deserve to 
to mother this child because I'm such a horrible person for everything that I've done, you know, so it was like really hard for me to, to, to admit that him and I had a connection that my son and I had a connection and I denied it. And I was like, there's no connection. We, we, there's no connection. We're not connecting. We're not connecting, but we were so connected. And, um, so yeah, it was really difficult, um, to even comprehend the emotions that I was feeling. I didn't, I had no, I was completely unaware of what I was feeling. I was so numb and disconnected. You know, you hear people talk about, I've heard you talk about don't split the baby about how, um, just not splitting the baby. And I feel like I was a split baby and I grew up with two beings. I was, I showed the world one version of me, but really deep inside, there was another version of me. And I couldn't, I couldn't fuse those two together. I didn't know how to fuse those two together. And that's how I lived my life hurt. I showed the world this version, but behind closed curtains, I was like hurt and scared and didn't know how to express any of those things. So that was, yeah, that was the trauma that led to that. There's so much that you as a 17, 18 year old was, were dealing with, with, yeah an absent father, it sounds like, and, and mm-hmm. some, some issues there, and a mom who had kind of checked out because an older brother was in a trial, you said, mm-hmm. having a court mm-hmm. trial. Um, you're pregnant, your boyfriend is dying, um, you're pregnant with another man's baby, and mm-hmm. you got, I mean, that's a lot. That is just yeah. so many emotions. I, I think it's probably um, a self-protection mechanism to oh, not feel them in f- full force when there's so much going on at once, and you're not um, fully supported by anyone. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's kind of the path to, um, placing your four month old son. And he, this is, let's put the time period in. This is about 12 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. Ma'am. How open you had intended for an open adoption. And mm-hmm. I think it kind of, uh, is an assumption that we have that a kinship adoption is going to be open. How open are things now 12 years later? How open are things now? Um, things are not open at all. Uh, they are pretty much closed. I don't get to see him. I do not get to speak to him. Um, I'm not invited to basketball games. I don't get to sit and have lunch with him. If there's a family dinner and they're there and I decide to go, then I get to see him. But other than that, there's no communication there's no visitations wow you you mentioned in a blog post that you um you you wrote a couple of posts for me that further explains um this story but you said that you come and we'll we'll link to those in the show notes by the way you said that you come from a very tight-knit family but also Mm -hmm. one that wasn't really able to talk much about things especially scary things like big emotions what was it like growing up with that and how did that continue to play out in what was supposed to be this open adoption? You had an agreement for an open adoption. So talk about the, the emotions and the kind of hardening against those emotions. Yeah. I think it was normal for me growing up. Like, you know, like some kids, their childhood, like they grow up and it's normal to just talk about their feelings. My childhood, it was like normal to not talk about my feelings. I didn't, it's not that I didn't know that I couldn't. It's, you know, nobody was like, oh, you can't feel that way. Don't ever feel that way. It was just, 
not spoken. It was a learned behavior. Nobody talked about their emotions. So therefore I didn't even know what they like this, whatever I'm feeling inside is a thing called an emotion and I can express it. It was just, I felt it and I shut down, whatever it was, I shut down. And so as I grew, it was just, you know, in adolescence, I, I fought a lot. I was really aggressive. I was angry and I had no idea why I was angry. So I'm, you know, I'm fighting people for, for what, what am I fighting people for? Like in high school, you know, I'm still fighting people and I'm angry with my mom. I don't want her to physically touch me like hugs. I don't want her affection, you know, and as I grew older, you know, relationships with other people, friendships, um, were deteriorating because I was so cold or hard and I couldn't be vulnerable. Being vulnerable was not, I didn't even know what vulnerable was. I didn't even know that I could be safe in my own person to even speak about, I'm sad about this, or I'm feeling angry about this. That was not any kind of language that I had ever even heard of. And so as I grew and the whole adoption took place, I knew that I wanted it to be an open adoption. What open looked like, I had no idea. I just knew that I wanted to be involved in his life. And so when those things didn't start to, when they weren't happening, I didn't know how to tell my brother and my sister-in-law, hey guys, like, I really, you know, he was supposed to know me as his birth, as his biological mom. And we're not having these conversations. You know, I didn't know how to, I didn't, I didn't know how to approach those. I didn't know I was too scared. If I brought it up, would I hurt their feelings? You know, would they cut me out? Would they tell me it's none of my business? You know, so a lot of fear went into it and it just kind of, it just kind of, it just started to pile and pile and get deeper and deeper. And to the point where it was just like, I was complying, you know, I just didn't say anything. I was happy to be in his life. He got older. I had my daughter, you know, it was just kind of like, it, it wasn't an issue. I didn't think it was an issue anymore because I was a part of his life. And because we were, we were hanging out and spending time with each other. So I was, okay with seeing him and him not knowing who I was because I was a part of his life until I wasn't anymore. Let's talk about that moment of truth. Um, yeah. That time when you decided it was a very conscious decision. You're, let me back up a little bit. Your um, Twitter handle, no, your Instagram mm -hmm. handle is EQ Clem. EQ as yeah. in like IQ, but in emotional intelligence, because I'm seeing this, um, this interface between, uh, your emotional, your ability to manage emotions and your ability to communicate with others and solve conflicts around emotions. And if you're missing either one of those, you're not going to mm -hmm. be able to, you're going to struggle with how to work yes. things out with the, the other person in this case, yes. um, the, the, your son's parents. Um, and we taught, somebody told me a long time ago, and this has served me well, is that emotions are meant to be in motion. If you, and I'm yes. kind of doing this waving, like a, like a wave with yes. my hand. Um, and if you can keep them emo in motion, your emotions in motion, let them have their way for a little while, um, then th that's a little bit more intelligent than shutting them down, which leads Correct. to brittleness, coming out sideways, and some of the other things that you have mentioned that and it, it's kind of what happens when, they're, when those emotions aren't Definitely. able to move. 
So let's talk about that moment of truth. You decided, you decided to not be quiet any longer about this complicity that you were taking part in and hiding the truth from your son. Mm -hmm. At this point, he doesn't know that you're his biological mom. Correct. He doesn't know that he's biracial. Correct. Um, and not only is, is there a, um, hiding the truth from him, but you've got a, a daughter, a younger daughter now that you're parenting and you're having to hide that from her to keep the secret from him. So what is this moment right. of truth like? Oh man, this moment of truth, it's almost, you know, you hear people, uh, I hear people talk about like an awakening, like a light bulb moment that goes on in their life that changes the course of what they were currently going on. And this was a moment that I feel like had been building up and it was like a dam that released. He had, he had asked previously before I even got to the point of wanting to tell him the truth. This is your son. Yeah, this is my son. He had asked previously if he was adopted twice in my presence. And both times he was met with um, avoidance, a joke, and then silence. And I, it, it started to like wake up something inside of me um, that had been sleeping for a really long time and I didn't know what it was. And then it just like, I got, I entered into a relationship and it was bringing a lot of like awareness that I, that I had, that I, I'm a, I, I have, I'm a liar. Like I grew up with liars and I learned to lie and it was just something that happened. And, you know, when you tell a lie, like a small lie and, or you keep the truth out of something and you, your intention is to go back and tell the truth or to give the whole story, but time goes on and then you forget or you get comfortable in that, in that missing truth part, that, that lie piece. And it just gets big and big and big and grows and grows. And that's kind of what happened. I feel like what happened with this, their intentions were, probably were well, my brother and sister-in-law were well in wanting to, but out of their own fear and insecurities, it just kind of got out of hand. Like they didn't know how, they didn't know how to enter into that conversation. And so it just kind of built and built and built until it couldn't hold anymore. And so when he started to ask if he was adopted, it was like, I can't do this anymore somebody has to tell him the truth. He's at an age, he's, you know, nine, 10 years old. He's like eight, nine asking these questions. Clearly he's biracial. He's half black and half Hispanic. He looks different. Both of his parents are Hispanic. I'm Hispanic. Um, the little girl, my daughter is half black and half Hispanic. So they look a lot alike. And so, you know, it was just kind of like this energy that was accumulating and nobody was saying anything about until I was like, I can't do this anymore. I have to tell him. And I started asking, you know, close to, I was getting counsel from close family members and people that I trusted and everybody was like, no, don't do it. Don't tell him you'll ruin his life. He's already happy. You'll just make it worse. And I was like, I can't like, he's already like, he's being lied to. I have to tell him like, if I don't tell him somebody, you know, like he'll find out from somebody else, you know? And I, 
I even asked my brother and my sister-in-law, I sent them a message. Again, this is part of my lack of clear communication. Instead of going to them to their, you know, sitting down and having like a conversation, hey guys, you know, he's been asking this, you know, <clears throat> can we sit down and talk to him or can you sit down and talk to him? I didn't do that. I messaged them and I was met with silence. Like nobody responded to my message. So I took it upon myself. Um, I made the choice in that moment that the next time he asked in my presence, I was going to tell him the truth. And that's what happened. Wow. So let me just point out that what we tend to think of as an open adoption is that you have knowledge of and contact with mm -hmm. both families. And so it's interesting for your situation, you had the contact mm -hmm. at this point in time, but not the knowledge. Correct. That's, it's usually like the other way around. So that's what makes your situation um, so unique. So can you tell us how it happened that day where he did ask in your presence? Oh, and yeah. You spoke your truth. The truth. The truth, yeah. It was, I, I explain it as like a, an emotional explosion. Um, we were at a dinner at my sister's house. Everybody was there and every, my brother, his kids, uh, my nephew, their kids, you know, like there was so many people in this house and everybody in this house knew he was adopted. Everybody except, except him. And so the kids were playing a game. We were sitting down in front of the TV in the living room and the kids were sitting like we were eating dinner and the kids were playing a game still. And it was like a, like a house game, a mom and brother, mom and sister game. And somebody said something about being a mom and somebody was like, well, I thought she was your mom. And he was like, what? And he, she was like, yeah, I thought she was your mom. And she, the little girl points at me. And I had like 0 0.5 seconds to respond. And my response was, I am your mom, you know? And he was just kind of like, but the whole time, it was like slow motion, you know, like when you watch movies and time like slows down and how everything slows down, that's what happened. He like looks at me and he's like, what? And I can see like the confusion on his face, you know? And he, it was like, kind of like a, like a slight, like, like, curiosity like almost like joy or like aha I knew it or some it was just something in his face that it wasn't like a sad or angry it was like a confused intrigue like what and then my brother and my sister-in-law they were listening into the conversation and it was just like slow motion in that moment and then it came all crashing down it was like they were angry. They came and they were, my brother was yelling at me. He was, they were very hurt. They were very hurt about it. And, um, I didn't, you know, my intention wasn't to cause harm. My intent wasn't to hurt anybody's feelings. It was like one of those moments, you know, that is just, I had, I had no time and I had already made up my mind that I was going to tell him the truth. And it just kind of all came crashing down. And that's when my brother was like, you know, I don't want you coming around. You're no longer welcome, you know, like all these things. And they swept them away. And I haven't, we haven't had a relationship since. And how old is your son at that time? How many years ago was this? <clears throat> this was going on three years. He was 10. He was 10 mm -hmm. and he's almost, he'll be 13. Soon. Next year. Yeah. Soon. Okay. So, um, in the last almost three years, what has been the fallout? Just kind of you piece you coexist 
as part of the same large family, but not any close interactions with each other. Yeah, it's with, with his parents. Yeah, it's 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 caused a a separation from not o- like not only my brother and my sister-in-law, but my sister, my niece, my nephews, my mom. Um, have people been the whole constellation, like, do, really. Um, do they feel like they have to take sides? I don't. I don't know. I there's there's zero communication. Like when I say we come from a family that don't that don't speak, nobody is talking to me. Like I'm not talking to them, obviously, but they're not talking to me either. So I don't, I can't say, you know, what it is on their side. I just know what it is on my side. And I know that I've been cut off from cell phone. I've been cut off from lunch, you know, lunch visitations. I've been told I'm not welcome. I've been, you know, so I don't know what it is on their side. I just know that because nobody in my family communicates in a respectful or healthy manner that, talking to them is you know it's not it's just not happening and so right now anyways in this today in this moment um so it's just been a strained relationship in my family I don't I don't feel respected I think family dynamics plays a role in that because I'm the baby sister and because I was so wild and and I don't want to say crazy, but I was very wild and emotional. And so I think it's, that's still how they see me. And so, yeah, there's just, there's no communication and it's just what it is for right now. So how in the world have you found healing from this banishment um, from your son's life in the last three years? How have you, how have you done that? Ooh, it's, it's, Education, honestly, being informed on trauma, my childhood trauma, being informed on mother-child connections, um, on attachment theories, on just basic adoption education um, has helped me has helped me gain insight on why I feel how I feel and that I'm not alone in feeling like this because for the longest, I didn't think I was allowed to feel any of these feelings. I didn't, because it was my choice because I made the choice to relinquish rights. I felt like I didn't deserve to feel any kind of way or that I, and you should just suck yeah, it up. that I should just suck it up. I made the choice. You know, my sister, she, the last time we spoke, she was like, I didn't give up a son. I don't need adoption education. Why are you know? And I'm like, it was, you know, and it was like, I needed adoption education because I felt like, like I was like going, I wasn't healthy. Like in my headspace, there was a lot of turmoil and I needed answers. And so I found a, I found a group, a birth moms group here in, here in Texas, here in Dallas. And I got into it and, and it was the first time since I relinquished rights that I had been in the same room with other women that have been through similar situations. And it was, it was so, it was so healing in that moment to realize that I'm not alone in this world in this feeling of guilt and this feeling of love and 
and shame and all of these feelings that go on with with uh, with adoption like not just in the birth mom section but in the adoptive parent section and then in in the adoptee section it was just like a lot of feelings that I felt very alone with and so getting into the into the group was the first start in healing and after that it was just like consuming adoption adoption information on all on from all kinds of voices and and then becoming aware of my own self um healing my emotions and learning to to listen to my body and listen to what i'm feeling and then just digging deeper, putting in that work to dig deep, deep, deep and find out why am I feeling like this? Where is this coming from? And how can I better move forward in this, in this emotion? You know, you said earlier, emotions are like, you know, they move, they, they flow. And um, I heard, you know, emotions are energy in motion, you know, so as long as they're moving, you know, as long, and, and that's what I had to take in. I had to take in information on how to better understand my emotions because my emotions were handling me. I wasn't handling my emotions. They were handling me and I didn't, I couldn't do it anymore. There was so much pain coming from my emotions handling me. I was like, this, this can't, this, I don't want the rest of my life to be like this. And so I had to, I had to stop and pause and, and realize that I, that I have a voice that I have, that I have to cultivate and strengthen, you know, that, that throat chakra, that, that center in my, in my heart and in my, in my chest that speaking is okay. Speaking, speaking is, is, is normal that I'm allowed to talk and I'm allowed to express how I feel and I can do it tactfully. I can do it mindfully. I don't have to be you know, raw about it, but I can, I can be mindful and I can say, Hey, that really hurt my feelings or, Hey, I'm really angry about this and, and let it be. And so it just, I had to take in a lot of adoption information, a lot of education and adoption and emotional awareness to help me, to help me get up every day, to help me have hope. I'd like to point out that all the things you're talking about um, apply, have such wide application beyond just adoption, yeah. um, just in, in uh, dealing with people and dealing with ourselves. Uh, I know that um, being uh, mindful about my own emotions helps me, when I can do it well, <clears throat> helps me be a better mom to teenagers. Oh my gosh, <laughs> teenagers are a whole different being. I can't, <laughs> I can't, my hat is off to you, Lori. <laughs> Because there, there's so much, uh, I mean, there's just emotions yes, in the house yes. during, during these years. So um, it, as, your, as your son is about to become a teenager, what do you dare have any visioning or hopes for what may happen in the next six to 10 years between you and him? Uh, I do, I do, I do. I, you know, I don't want to be away from my family. I don't want to not talk to my family. It's everything happens for a reason. There's time. This, I feel like this, these last two years have been for me, um, for my healing, for me to come to a place where I can come to the table and have a, a coherent conversation. So I can come to the table 
in a rational mindset and have a conversation where I'm not taking things personally, where I'm not attacking anybody. Um, and we can, and I can sit and I can be like, Hey, like, this is what I want out of this, or this is, these were my intentions, or this is, you know, what I thought things could be, or, you know, whatever the conversation comes up with. So my hope in the next 10 to six, six to 10 years is that I, that I can, that we can sit and we can have this conversation and because he's, he's, my son is a priority for me, you know, like I want to be in his life and I think that he wants to be a part of our life as well. And as long as, you know, I come from a very prideful family and our pride is a, is a fall is a downfall, you know? And I feel like once I'm able to put my ego and my pride to the side and come humbly to the table with, with love. I've already, I've given a lot. I've given a lot, but I still have more to give. And for him, I will give every less, every less drop that I can give to be able to have a healthy relationship with him. Even if that means putting my ego and my pride to the side. And so in the next six to 10 years, I, you know, I have hope. I have lots of hope. So One of the common themes I'm finding in a lot of the people that I talk with on this podcast is the value of space, Mm. becoming expansive enough, being able to create enough space out of your heart or your being or your energy, energetic space to feel your own feelings and to allow space for other people. Mm -hmm. And even going into a birth mother support group, what you find there is that there's space for the emotions Mm -hmm. to unpack. And I just feel like when you and your son are able to get back together, that you are doing the work on yourself Mm -hmm. and um, you can provide him that space so that even if he has some really tough emotions, if he's angry, if he's really ticked off, like super angry Mm -hmm. um, at various things, um, jealous of your daughter may, I mean, there's all sorts of things in adoption that he may be feeling um, that you'll be able to give him the space and the guidance to move those through. So I just, um, I think it's of such value that you've committed to doing all of this work. Um, I, I want to know what, what might you have done differently if you had a rewind button, assuming that you actually, that you still placed mm-hmm. him, what might you have done differently? <clears throat> what might I have done differently? I would have gotten education. I hear, you know, you had Ashley Mitchell on here the other day and she, I remember listening to the podcast and she was like, I was a grown woman, you know, and I did not know. And I remember thinking I wasn't a grown woman. I was a child. I was 18 and I had no clue. I just knew the concept of adoption and I knew the concept of an open adoption. But other than that, I had no idea that there was education. I had no idea that there was information on emotions that could come up for me, them, or my son, you know? So I would definitely, if I had a rewind button, I would definitely emerge my, like immerse myself in adoption information, all kinds. Is there, is there something that's been a particular value? Uh, Like, like where should people go to try to get this? Oh man. Ashley Mitchell's website, Instagram page is Uh excellent. Yeah. Yeah. She's an excellent source. Um, Man, there's so much out there. Um, for me, it was 
it was the Brave Love website. I stumbled across that. That's how, that's actually how I came across Ashley Mitchell's page um, is through the Brave Love uh, website. It's a birth mom. It was actually the first website that I came across that was including birth moms. Everything else that I read was from an agency on an, on an adoption website. And um, not that all of it, none of it was bad information. It just, it wasn't full information, like the full story. I was, I felt like it was just bits and pieces of it, like a glimpse into possibilities. Um, and then I stumbled and the Brave Love website kind of just gave it, gave it to me kind of raw, like here's birth mom stories. And they had videos and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I was like, oh, wow. So, um, oh, and then the Nancy Verrier book, um, The Primal Wound, that was a first for me. Um, I told you I denied our connection, you know, my son and I's connection for so long. I think, again, out of a protection thing, um, probably to protect him or to protect myself. Um, But reading her book, it was like on a on a blog top 10 adoption books to read or something. And I got it and I read it and it forever was like, okay, like there was a connection and these feelings are real. And, you know, the things that in hindsight, the things that he was going through as a toddler made sense, you know? And I was like, okay, so that was, that was part of my, that part of my healing journey as well was reading the primal wound, reading the girls who went away. Um, those books kind of, again, just more education in the adoption space where it started. Um, You know, adoption has a very dark background. I had no idea. I had no clue. And it just kind of opened it up. And then again, being in the birth moms group, talking to finding a group in your area, I would have, I definitely would have the education and support. Those are two things that I would go back and, and do hardcore education and support. I've been taking some notes (laughs) on what you're saying, so I can include some of these resources in the show notes. So um, we're getting close to time to wrapping up. So I would like to ask you this, that I ask of all of our guests, um, boil things down to your best piece of advice for adoptive parents in the long view, Mm. the long view of adoptive parenting, the long view of adoptive parenting um, advice. My advice is to get comfortable being uncomfortable. There is going to be a lot of uncomfortable moments, um, and that's okay. Um, Being uncomfortable is okay. A lot of of growth comes out of uncomfortability, um, but my advice would just to be to expect being uncomfortable and to be prepared to put in the work, um, for yourself. And then most importantly for your child, um, be uncomfortable and then just be super mindful of your own emotions as the adoptive parent so that you can help your child in their emotional space because, they're going to be there. It could good emotions, you know, tough emotions, they're going to be there. And so my advice would be, um, be prepared to be uncomfortable and be mindful and aware of 
what you're feeling and why you're feeling and how you can get through this, um, those emotions in, in the best way possible. Mm, I think that's terrific advice uh, for all, for all sorts of relationships. <laughs> Thank you for that. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. Yes. Thank you, Lori. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. With each episode of Adoption the Long View, we bring you guests that will expand your knowledge of adoptive parenting. Please subscribe, give this episode a rating, and share it with others who are on the journey of adoptive parenting. Thanks to each of our listeners for tuning in and investing in your adoption's long view. May you meet everything on your road ahead with confidence, capability, and compassion. <laughs>